Job chapter 19, verse 25 says, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. As I mentioned earlier, Job was a good man, he was a righteous man, he was also a wealthy man. In chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible tells us there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. You see, Job was a man of faith. He was a man whose faith and his lifestyle honored God. And God was glorified by the life of Job. God was glorified by Job's faith, by Job's dedication to him, by Job's belief in him, by Job's righteousness. God was honored by that. The Bible tells us that Job was a man of great substance. The Bible actually lists his assets there. Tells us how much livestock he had, how many head of livestock. And that was wealth back then. We didn't have bank accounts or 401ks. We had flocks and we had herds and, and we had livestock. Job also had children. And the Bible tells us that those children would hold banquets. They were, they were older children, grown children. They'd hold banquets. They'd have parties. They would host, host feasts and meals. And Job was concerned about this. So Job made sacrifices of his flock on behalf of his children for fear that they may have erred against God in their, in their banqueting. Job had it all. And not only did Job have it all, but Job was completely dedicated to the Lord. And this honored God. This glorified God, and it bothered Satan. And the Bible tells us that the angels presented themselves before the Lord, and Satan was there, and God said, Have you considered my servant Job? God knew what was on Satan's mind. And Satan said, The only reason Job worships you is because he made you, you made him rich. And so God said, okay, try it. God allowed Satan to put Job to the test. Now, a common misconception of this story is that God allowed Job to lose everything. God allowed Job to become sick. God allowed Job to lose his children all just to make a point to Satan. But if you read the book of Job, after chapter 2, Satan becomes irrelevant. You see, the book of Job, all 42 chapters, we get the short, condensed Sunday school version of Job. But it's an entire book of 42 chapters of Job exploring what has happened to him and why. And after chapter 2, Satan is irrelevant. Because God proved his point to, to Satan. Job worshipped God because of his faith in God, not because of what God had done for him. That's not the lesson we take from this. God did not do all of this to Job to prove a point to Satan. And God does not allow us to go through suffering simply to prove a point to others. So that we can be a witness to others. So that we can minister to others. God does not do that simply for that reason. The fact is, if you read the book of Job, God 
allowed Job to lose everything and to suffer in order to transform Job. Job is already a man of faith, but God was going to take that faith and kick it into high gear. And Job was going to experience God in a way that Job didn't even think possible. Experiencing God, that was a catchphrase back in the 1990s and early 2000s as I first came to faith. Experience God. Have you experienced God? There's a book called Experiencing God. I don't know what it's about, but I know that there's a book and it was a bestseller. Experiencing God. You want to experience God, you go through what Job went through. Job experienced God. And that's why in chapter 42, verse 5, Job says, and I want you all to remember this verse. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. He was a man of faith. Job was a man of God. He had listened to the preaching. He believed. But yet, Job's faith, much of it was academic and intellectual. After going through all of this, his faith became tangible. And he came to know God in a way that he had never known before. And therefore he says, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear. I've listened to the preaching. I've heard Dr. J. Vernon McGee speak. I have read the Bible. I have read the books. I have, me personally, I have sat under some of the best preachers God has ever put on this planet. I believe that. I've heard of God by the hearing of the ear. But you go through trauma in your life and you go through it with faith, you'll see him. He'll become real. Everything God does, he does to bring us into his presence. All right, remember that. Everything God does, he does to bring us into his presence. When I visit with my hospice patients and they say, why did God let me get cancer? God wants to bring you into his presence. He wants to bring you into his kingdom, into his heaven. And he wants you to know him going in. When the caregivers ask me, why is God allowing my loved one to suffer with cancer? God is reaching out to you through this to bring you into his presence. We love to quote Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. God thinks good thoughts for us. God's going to give us good things. But who was God speaking to when he said that? He was speaking to the nation of Israel that he was about to allow to go into captivity. God was sending Israel into captivity. And while he's sending them into captivity, he spoke these words by Jeremiah. He spoke these words by Isaiah. He spoke these words by the prophet Ezekiel. I'm letting you go into this this captivity. But this is for your own good. Because I have a vision for you. And so I'm going to allow you to go through the suffering, but I'm doing this to refine you as a people so I can draw you back into my presence. Yeah. In Job 19.25, Job said, I know my Redeemer lives. Yes. We use that word in Christianity a lot today. Yes. But that was not a spiritual term when Job spoke it. He said, I know my Redeemer lives. We have to ask ourselves, what is a Redeemer? Secondly, we need to ask ourselves, 
Who is this redeemer? And finally, we need to understand what is it we're being redeemed from. When Job is sitting there and he says, I know my redeemer lives, what was he looking forward to being redeemed from? We need to understand these things. To understand what we are going through in this life. When we have health problems that just never will go away and they never seem to cure themselves. We say it's old age, but why does old age keep going on like this? You know, I mean, we're getting to a point where we have to rebuild the Buick. You know, why do I keep having to go through this? Why am I having problems with my family? Why am I having problems with my landlord? Why am I having problems with my finances? I can answer that for myself. Uh, It involves golden arches, but I'll move on. Why are we enduring all these hardships and all of these troubles? Why, why, why? We have to understand that God is bringing us to that point where we look forward to our Redeemer. What is a Redeemer? It's interesting that Job uses the word Redeemer. Job wasn't the kind of man that you would expect to use this word back in the Old Testament. He was not the kind of man that you would think would be looking forward to a Redeemer. Because in the Old Testament, in common everyday speech, a redeemer was someone who rescued somebody. You see, back in the days before credit cards, pawn shops, and title loans, the only collateral you had in order to obtain credit or to obtain a loan was yourself. And if you got to a point where you could not pay your debts, you could not pay your loans, you could not meet your obligations, you sold yourself into slavery. And for a set amount of time, you belonged to somebody else. You were his slave until that time had been fulfilled and you had paid off your debt through your labor. You were a slave. And this is a tragic time. This was rock bottom for a family. This was tragedy and trauma for a family to go through a time like this. Yet, if you sold yourself into slavery to cover your debt, And your brother who moved off to Timbuktu 20 years ago and he was an investment banker over there. And he got word that you'd been sold into slavery to cover your debts. He could come back and he could say, how much did he sell himself in for? Well, $1,500. Okay, here's the check. He could buy you back for the same price that you were sold into slavery for. That was called redemption. The family member who came to purchase you back out of slavery was called the Redeemer. So if you were sold into slavery, you might be waking up every morning hoping that your redeemer, your family member, your brother had showed up with the money to redeem you from the slavery in which you found yourself. Now here you have Job. He's a millionaire. He is a rich man. He is well off. He is doing great, except he's lost everything. Now he's lost his, he's lost his family. He's lost his livestock. He's lost his livelihood. He's lost his reputation because people think he's going through this because he must have done some sort of a sin. And Job wakes up and he says, I know my Redeemer liveth. I know my Redeemer lives and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. Job was looking for the one who would come to rescue him. This Redeemer, motivated by love, this Redeemer was a rescuer. That's what a redeemer is. Yeah. So when when you sing that song, I know that my redeemer lives, mm-hmm. you're looking forward to your rescuer. You're looking forward to your redeemer. Yeah. Who is your rescuer and what is he rescuing you from? Who is your rescuer? Who is your redeemer? Who was the redeemer 
that Job looked for. Was it a rich relative to come bail him out and restore his flocks? Or was it the Lord? Job said, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand the latter day upon the earth. This Redeemer, who will stand the last day upon the earth, has to be none other than God. Has to be none other than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because everybody else that Job knows is going to be good and dead by that point. In fact, Job understands this. In verse 26, he says, And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God. Job knew that he would not live to see the day of the Redeemer, to see the day that the Lord would come. But he also knew that he would be resurrected and he would see the Lord in his flesh on that day. That's who Job's looking forward to. Job said when he lost everything, he said, Naked came I from my mother's womb, naked shall I return. His wife come to him and said, Why don't you just curse God and die? And Job said... Shall we receive the good from the Lord and not the bad? Is he only our God when he's being good to us? Or shall he still be our God when things are going badly? Job had this impenetrable faith in the Lord. And he trusted the Lord. You see, Job didn't wait for God to be his redeemer when he was suffering. God was already his redeemer before the suffering began. Job in the beginning of chapter 1, is sitting there with thousands of livestock, hundreds of servants, a good family, a strong reputation among the people. And yet, in the high times, in the good times, Job is still looking for his Redeemer. Mm -hmm. He knew his Redeemer lived. Mm -hmm. And when everything fell apart, and Job lost everything, mm -hmm. he was still able to look through the suffering and say, I'm still waiting on my redeemer because this life was never about the livestock this life was never about the riches the reputation even the family this life was never about that this life was always about the redeemer you see i think sometimes we forget what this life is about we start to think that this life is about the things that we have in this life we think that this life is about what can we accomplish. What kind of legacy can I leave behind? The thing about legacies is they get forgotten. We have a stadium in Brownwood, Texas, Gordon Wood Stadium. With each passing year, fewer people know who Gordon Wood was. I went to Stephen F. Austin State University. Our football stadium was Homer Bryce Stadium. I can't tell you who Homer Bryce was. Our basketball team played in the William R. Johnson Coliseum. I can't tell you who William R. Johnson was. I attend the Rush School of Business. I have no idea who Nelson Rush is. Y'all see my point? Yeah. These guys who have buildings and facilities named after them, some of them paid for that. But all of them made an impact on that school. I have no idea who these people are. The name of the university is Stephen F. Austin State University. How many of y'all can raise your hand if you can tell me who Stephen F. Austin was? 
There's two, there's three, there's four, there's five. I figured you would. I noticed he didn't raise his hand, but that's okay. If you weren't born in Texas, you're not expected to know who the father of Texas is. You know, this is it's just one of those things. What made him the father of Texas? You know, a lot of people don't know that. I mean, here's a man. We have an entire culture that was born out of the colonies he established. And I would venture to say 80% of the people in Texas don't know who he is. It's a name. Legacies fade away. But when this world passes away and we pass into the next world, that legacy's gone. See, this life is not about legacies. This life is not about riches because as we see with Job, those riches, those finances, they can disappear just as quickly as they show up. You may spend it, in fact, a lot of times they disappear quicker than they show up. My money tends to flow out of the bank account quicker than it shows up in the bank account. Again, I know why that is. I just have to grow up and have a little bit of willpower. But sometimes it's out of your control. You get a cancer diagnosis, that's going to wipe out your finances. I don't care what your insurance situation is. It's not about, our lives here are not about the riches, the accomplishments, the legacies, even about the children. We are to raise up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But, and, and we teach our children about the Lord, not for what's here, but so that they too can have that eternal perspective. This whole time that Job is alive, he's got this eternal perspective. And when he loses everything, he's okay because he knows his Redeemer lives and that he shall stand on the earth at the latter day. And when we endure times like Job, we start to see what's really important. And just as the, as the Lord was Job's Redeemer, he is our Redeemer. In Psalm 19, 14, the Bible says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Mm -hmm. When we honor God, we're not just honoring a distant deity. We are honoring the one who redeemed us. We are honoring our Redeemer. Romans three twenty four, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption of that is in Christ Jesus. The Lord is our Redeemer. And everything he does is to set us up for that redemption. That redemption means to be saved. That redemption means to have assurance of salvation and eternity in God's kingdom. It means to refine our faith. To help us to trust in God and to have a fuller understanding of him. And to prepare us for the day that he physically welcomes us into his kingdom. Remember, everything that God does, he does to bring you into his presence. Now, we've talked about what a redeemer is. Remember, this redeemer is one who purchases you back from slavery, one who rescues you. Our redeemer is the Lord, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, our heavenly father, our redeemer. What do we need to be redeemed from. Mm -hmm. Are you in slavery this morning? Are you in bondage this morning? Are you hopeless this morning? What are you struggling with this morning? Your Redeemer yes. can redeem you from that. Yes. First and foremost, our Redeemer redeems us from sin. Yes. 
In Romans chapter 5, verse 12, the Bible says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Whereas by one man sin entered into the world. Who was that man? It was Adam. Whereas by one man sin entered into the world. That man was Adam. God created man. God created man in his image. God set man in charge of the earth. God blessed man immensely. God loved man. God fellowship with man. God lived with man. Satan come along and said, man, if you'll just eat that fruit, you won't have to listen to God no more. That was the temptation. Satan said that God knows in the day that you eat thereof, you will be as God's knowing good and evil. You won't have to listen to God anymore. You can know it for your own self. You won't need God. And the Bible tells us that man ate. Man ate. Man rebelled against God. And because of that, man's fellowship with God was broken. Man was naked and ashamed. But God told Adam, the day that you do this, you will surely die. Adam ate of that. Guess what? He surely died. Death came into the world by Adam's sin, and death passed upon all men. Why does my loved one get cancer? Because death passed upon all men. Why are we afraid of death? Because we're afraid of the eternal separation from God. Why? Because death passed upon all men. It's a fearful thing. And we all live with that knowledge that one day we're going to die. We don't want to think about it. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to process it. We don't want to plan for it. It's why we die without wills. It's why we die without having final arrangements made. We know death is coming. We just expect it's going to be 20 more years down the road. But it gets here quicker. Brown County is a weird place. We have a lot of 40-year-olds that die here. Yes. I've never seen this. It happened every now and then in East Texas, but here it seems like once a year, twice a year, three times a year, you hear of somebody in the prime of their life. They're here today. They're gone tomorrow. Death passed upon all men. And death without the Redeemer is eternal separation from God. That's hell. That's wrath. That's judgment. Mm -hmm. And death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And all have sinned. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But Romans 3.24 says, Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Yes, we have all sinned. Yes, we all fall short of God's glory. Yes, death comes upon all of us because all of us have sinned. Yet the redemption is in Christ Jesus. Our Redeemer redeems us from sin, redeems us from death, redeems us from eternal separation from God. That is what our Redeemer redeems us from. Jesus Christ, he went to the cross and he paid the price, the price for our sin that sold us into slavery was death. And Jesus Christ paid the price of death for our sin, enduring the wrath of God so that we never have to. That was the price he paid for redemption. Notice the person being redeemed doesn't have the ability to pay for their redemption. For if they did, they wouldn't need a redeemer. The man that's in slavery cannot pay to purchase his freedom. Otherwise, he wouldn't be in slavery. Only a fool stays in slavery when he has the price to buy himself out of it. 
No, he couldn't do it. He needed a redeemer. And Christ is our redeemer. We couldn't pay the price for our salvation. We couldn't pay the price to redeem us from sin and to bring us back into God's family and into his kingdom. Jesus Christ paid that price on our behalf. Now, how do we access that? Romans 5, 1 through 2 says, Being justified by faith, we have peace with, our, with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Amen. How do you access God's grace? How do you access his redemption? How do you access his salvation? It is by faith. Amen. It is by belief. It is by trust. That is what we are redeemed from. We are redeemed from sin. And when you are redeemed from sin, when you are redeemed from the condemnation of sin, when you are redeemed from death, guess what? Everything else follows right along. Job knew God as his redeemer in chapter 1. Before anything went wrong, Job knew God as his redeemer. You get to chapter 3, Job says that his worst fear came to true. Job chapter 19, Job says, I know my redeemer lives. When do you think that Job most looked forward to seeing his redeemer? Mm -hmm. In chapter 1, when he's deciding which one of these thousands of lambs are we going to barbecue tonight? Or chapter 19, when he's in physical pain and he doesn't have any more food? When do you think Job most looked forward to his Redeemer? Our Redeemer not only redeems us from sin, he redeems us from suffering. Job looked forward to the coming of his Redeemer, for he knew that the Redeemer, the Lord, would rescue him from his suffering. Likewise, suffering reminds us that the things of this world are temporary, and it reminds us to look to the Lord to redeem us from this world. I had a patient tell me that there's, I've got nothing to do now but just to sit here and wait for God to take me. He was looking forward to his Redeemer. He was looking for his Redeemer. You know, when, when you're in pain, you want out. Yeah. You want to be redeemed, mm -hmm. rescued mm -hmm. from that pain. You want to be rescued from that suffering. Yes. We can fall in love with the things of this world, but that goes away when we find ourselves suffering. Yes. The hope that we have is not only that someday we'll die and float off into some clouds somewhere. The hope that we have is that one day the problems we face on this earth yes. will be over. Amen. And we'll be received into God's kingdom where we will ever be with the Lord. Amen. I have a dog named Grizz. And there's a long story behind this dog. I'll tell you some other time. When Grizz is in the backyard, she's scratching on the back door. She wants in the house. We let her in the house. Now, Grizz is a happy, lovable affectionate yet fairly large and hard to handle dog <laughs> she doesn't understand that you both don't fit on the couch 
we put her in the girls' room. When she's in the girls' room, if the rest of us are in the living room, she's scratching on the girls' door. So we put her back outside. She scratches on the back door. Maybe barks at us. And don't ever let the sun go down with her in the backyard. She will, she will make sure you don't forget her outside. What's this dog's deal? She's in the backyard, she wants in the house. She's in the bedroom, she wants out of the bedroom. What's her deal? She wants to be with her master. She wants to be with us. We have another dog named Maya. Maya is a, re a rebellious <laughs> yellow lab, white lab thing. Encore came and my back gate is tied shut with ropes. Encore needed in our backyard, so they just cut the ropes, walked in, did whatever they needed to do in the backyard, and left, leaving the gate wide open. Uh. Maya bolts. She's going to go explore the neighborhood. Grizz is at the back door crying. Strangers came in the backyard, and they left the gate open. Please help me. Because Grizz has been to the pound. Well, so has Maya, but Grizz learns faster. But she just wants to be with her people. Why do we look forward to heaven? What's the blessing of heaven? The blessing of heaven is that we are looking forward to being with the master, Miss Vivian. That's it. That's what we learned from all this. So look forward to your redeemer. And look forward to your redemption. Job said in, 19, in verses 25 and 26 of chapter 19 here, For I know that my redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth, and though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. Job is looking forward to, he said the worms are going to destroy his body. He might have felt like they had already started when he's still alive. That buzzard lands next to you like, I'm not dead yet. Smack it. But he's still looking forward to his Redeemer. And he knows that he will, in his flesh, see God. He's looking forward to that day. The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Amen. The Apostle Paul said, don't cry for me, Timothy. I finished my race. I'm about to get my crown. I'm about to get my gold medal. I'm looking forward to this. I've looked forward to this day for a long time. That's what the Apostle Paul told Timothy. The Apostle John was on the Isle of Patmos, had... The apocalypse revealed to him by Jesus Christ. And at the end of the book of Revelation, Jesus said, Surely I come quickly. And John said, Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. How can these three men, Job, Paul, and John, have such hope when they have seen such devastation? It's because their mindsets were not on the things of this world but on eternal things. Amen. So when you are going through suffering, when the bottom falls out, when the floodwaters rise, when the thing that should have never happened, happened, when your worst fear comes true, your nightmare is now a reality, and you're wondering, what was the point of all this? Job asked that question in the book. He says, what was the point of being so righteous if I was still going to lose everything to begin with? He didn't curse God. He didn't complain, but... He's like, I'm trying to figure out how this works. This doesn't make sense. And you may have that legitimate question. 
I prayed, I prayed, I prayed, I prayed, I prayed, and God didn't answer the prayer. Or he answered it, but it wasn't the, it wasn't the relief I was asking for. I prayed for my loved one to be healed, and my loved one was not healed. I prayed for deliverance, and deliverance never came. I prayed for relief, and relief never happened. I prayed for provision, and I am still doing without. Why? What's the point? Why do we hang in there? It's because what God is doing in your life is not for the here and now. Eternal perspective. We're looking forward to the next life. Job's focus on his Redeemer reminds us that this world is not our home. Life, and the Christian life especially, is not about the here and now. Our blessings don't come in answered prayers in the immediate time. Our life is about the world to come. God allows suffering to remind us of our heavenly home or our need to have a heavenly home if you don't know the Lord is your Savior. God allows suffering to refocus our attention on our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Or if you don't know the Lord is your Savior, your need for the Savior. God allows suffering to deepen our faith and understanding of Him. Because you get to know God a lot better in the bad times than you do the good. Have you ever read theologians from two or three hundred years ago and then read what we're putting out now? And we got some good people writing some good things today. I don't want to be down on anybody. But you read what the apostles wrote. You read what Charles Spurgeon wrote. Then read you some Osteen. There's a difference. Charles Spurgeon impresses me. I bought his study Bible. And he'll take a Bible verse that I just gloss right over. I just go right past it. I don't even think about it. And he's got a three-point sermon off of it. The book of Mark, chapter 16, there is a verse where it says Jesus upbraided their non-belief. My entire life, I just read right past that and got into the preach the gospel to every creature part. Spurgeon wrote an entire sermon on he upbraided their unbelief and he titled the sermon the sin of unbelief he had such a keen understanding and insight into the scriptures how did he get that because being a christian in london in 1850 was not a picnic being a baptist in london in 1850 was not a picnic through spurgeon's suffering and he didn't even suffer as bad as some of our great leaders over the centuries have He gained a keen understanding of who the Lord is. And that's what God is working in our lives. You're going through a lot right now. All of you are going through a lot. You're going through stuff you should have never had to have gone through. But do you see God in all that? Do you see God through all that? Job 42.5 I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ears, but now... Mine eye seeth thee. Mm -hmm. 